The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the new football show from Hawkeye's Mike. We have our weekly reporter's notebook in this podcast. This one features Scott Docterman, who looks ahead at the Hawks' 2014 season opener against the Panthers of the University of Northern Iowa. You'll also hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and UNI's Mark Farley. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include Marv Cook, as well as sports reporter Scott Doctorman of the Gazette, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, as well as KGYM's Tyler Chelmeland. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show on Wednesdays and our Reporter's Notebook preview podcasts on Thursdays. Coming later in the fall will be Tyler Chelmeland's wrestling shows and our new basketball podcasts. Before we go any further, I want to take a few moments on a personal note. Just want to start out expressing our condolences to the uh, Dank family. It was, uh, you know, really uh, a shock to learn of Susan's passing last week. So our condolences certainly go out to her family. That's how Kirk Ferentz began his press conference this past Tuesday, and it's how he should have. I've struggled with what to say about this, and it's been on my mind multiple times daily since we got the terrible news. Susan Dank was a very good journalist and sports reporter. She was also a good friend and a terrific person. She passed away suddenly and completely unexpectedly last week at the age of 39. She exercised regularly, running and bicycling in particular, and was in apparent good shape, which makes it even harder to understand. Susan gave of her time in many ways. Among other things, she had a special passion for animals and volunteered with, as well as served as co-president of, the Des Moines County Humane Society. And she loved her adopted shelter dog, Maddie. At the Burlington Hawkeye, Susan covered Iowa football, the minor league Burlington Bees, and Southeastern Community College sports, among other things. Most recently, she added the responsibility of writing the Hawkeye's regular food blog. It was titled Lazy Susan which always made me smile because she was anything but lazy. A number of folks noted that Susan was probably the only person in the Iowa press box who was universally thought of fondly by her peers, and of course it wasn't just her demeanor and ever-present smile. She also regularly brought goodies for everyone. For the past couple of years, Susan was also a regular on Hawkeye's Mike Football podcasts, as you listeners know. It was nice having her perspective and her voice on our shows. She was always eager to help in any way she could, and again, always with a smile. She was set to have her own show this season on Mondays with a game review and was looking forward to that, as was I. Now she's gone, and it's left a void for many of us. Life often seems unfair and inexplicable. In this case, it certainly seems so. Her family, her friends, readers, and her listeners will miss Susan Dank. She will be fondly remembered always, and that is how it should be. Rest in peace, Susan. Thank you. 
Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. The Iowa Hawkeyes open their 2014 season by hosting the University of Northern Iowa Panthers. This Iowa team begins play with high expectations from many of its fans, due in large part to the returning starters, offensive skill players, and strength in both the offensive and defensive lines. Plus, the schedule seems tailor-made to give the Hawks a legitimate chance to win the Big Ten's new West Division and maybe to play in the conference title game. But as Kirk Ferentz always says, it won't be easy it's never easy. UNI may be the toughest non-conference foe on Iowa's schedule this year. The Panthers are a very strong FCS team, always a contender in the Missouri Valley Football Conference, and a near-perennial FCS playoff team. UNI is also loaded with veterans and returns nearly its entire offense from a year ago, coupled with a veteran defense up front and in the secondary. Both Iowa and UNI have inexperienced linebackers, both have new kickers, and the Hawkeyes also have have a new and untested punter. Iowa returns the players who accounted for 99% of its rushing yards in 2013, as well as 77.5% of its receptions. And for the first time since 2010, the Hawkeyes returned their top passer in Jake Rudock, as well as leading rusher in Mark Wiseman and Cavante Martin-Manley, who led the team in receptions last year. Iowa is coming off an 8-5 season, including a tough loss to a very good LSU team in the Outback Bowl. It was 5-3 in conference play, finishing second to league champion Michigan State in the division. And while the Hawkeyes are not yet ranked, they're picked by many to win the Big Ten's West Division, and by some as a sleeper for the first-ever FBS playoffs. UNI enters 2014 coming off a disappointing year, which saw the Panthers go 7-4. That included a five-game losing streak in the middle of the season, capped off by four straight wins to end the year, and barely missed the FCS playoffs. They were hit hard by the injury bug at key positions, but now appear healthy heading into this year. Iowa leads the series all-time 15-1, though 10 of those games were played before 1915. The Hawks last played UNI in 2012, winning that game 27-16. Kirk Ferentz starts his 16th year as Iowa head coach with a record of 108-79. He's only the 12th Big Ten coach in history to win 100 or more games. UNI head coach Mark Farley is starting his 14th year as a head coach, all at UNI. It's his alma mater, and his career record is 111-51. The Panthers have appeared in the FCS playoffs 16 times. They have 16 MVFC championships to their credit. They finished in the FCS top 25 in 10 of the last 13 seasons. And going into 2014, they're ranked 9th and 15th in the respective preseason polls. They're picked to finish 3rd in conference play, but they also receive votes for a first-place finish. This should be a very good test for Iowa, but the Hawkeyes cannot afford any preseason stumbles this year if they want to meet their own expectations as well as those of many of their fans. And broadcast school has really paid off.
Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who talks about the dangers of facing a good UNI team in the opener. You go back the last five openers, one against us, where it was it took a miracle, not not good fortune, but basically a miracle for us to win. They opened up at Wisconsin in 2012, and I think it was a, about a five-point game. Wisconsin had an excellent football team, and you know last year they opened up with a, they looked razor sharp in their opener. So you know one thing, if you just go back in recent history, these guys are gonna be ready to go. There's no question about that, and they're they really don't care where they travel. It's not unlike uh, North Dakota State a year ago doing the same thing, going on the road, and it doesn't seem to bother them who they're playing or where they're playing. It's it's uh, they play good football, and that's something you and I has done traditionally very well. I think last year, if you look at the record, it's really there's there's more to the story there. That's that that's not a typical UNI season. And think about the running back being hurt. You think about the quarterback uh, missing a couple games there at the end, and, and even then they were very tough competitive ball games. So yeah, when these guys are healthy and ready to go, they're going to be extremely uh, a challenging opponent, and we, we better be at our best. I know that. Ferentz shares his concerns about the cohesiveness of his defense and the entire team to start the new season. Yeah, sure. I mean, anytime you have new players, I'm, I'm concerned about the cohesiveness of our entire football team. Anytime you have new players enter the mix, you know, you, you got work to do, and that's you get X amount of done in practice. It's, it's like every team, but you know, until you really start playing games, that's really when you find out about the personality of your team and how things are going to materialize, how, how guys are going to react. And uh, we have a lot of guys that have never played outside of the kids' day scrimmage. They haven't played in front of anybody uh, of note in college. So every situation is really important, and all you can do is try to prepare. And I think our guys are doing that. But but we've got 12 games. That's gonna it's gonna be a it'll be an adventure and a journey. Hopefully not too adventurous, but it'll be a journey for sure. Ferentz was asked to compare the 2012 team, the first year with new offensive coordinator Greg Davis, to now with new personnel, more speed, and a lock on the scheme. I think we're better better positioned right now. Whether you talk about you know we went through a, a huge transition. You know I can say that now, but it was a huge transition. Anytime we change our system uh, nomenclature right on through so that that was uh, a challenge and uh, there's no easy way to get around that I don't think and then yeah we just weren't very experienced at, at some of the key positions so I think uh, outside of quarterback and and uh, still think it was a tough tough hand for James to be dealt but that's the way it goes sometimes and uh, you know we're in a little better position right now but you know the world can change fast so you know it's just a matter of us right now we, we've got to keep our foot on the gas uh, and I'll go back to the point I made earlier you know a guy like Tavon Smith I think got better last year uh, but if he doesn't keep getting better you know it's, you know, we take that passing game and throw it in the garbage can. You know, we just need everybody to, to do their part. We lost a really good player with Fedorowicz, a guy who was really a threat for us in the red zone. And so we, we've got a lot of other guys that have to grab the rope here a little bit and do a good job. But you know, I, I think we have the opportunity, the potential to be better offensively. And uh, that would sure, sure help, especially, you know, some of the guys we lost defensively just help balance things out a little bit. Ferentz talks about Jake Rudock and the dialogue with him and his role as starting quarterback. It's probably more two-way than one-way in that, like, you know, th- those guys guys can both give us good information now and uh, gosh it just showed a clip the other day this it's not the same thing but uh, there was a play we ran in one of our later games where the, the guys basically you know it was a communication that happened during the course of the game coaches to players players to coaches and you know when you when it goes both ways that's a good thing so the point is I think when, when players are more experienced they're more capable of telling you Here, here's what I feel good about and why so I think that that's certainly a good thing and that that's something that you know you, you try to build with every player at every position but it's uh, it takes time so yeah Jake Jake's got a real good feel for what's going on. He sees things well, and he, he did last year for a first-year player. He What he told you or told Greg coming off the sideline was usually matched up with the film, and that's that's a good sign. That's one of the reasons we felt good about him last year. And Kirk was asked what separates a big championship contending season as compared to just a good season. There's a lot of things, but I mean, you know, 
injuries and luck are, are two of the things. You know, how you handle the ups and downs. Hopefully we'll have some ups, you know. Uh, it's not guaranteed, but I know we'll have some downs. That's part of part of life and part of football. So how we how we handle those things, whatever challenges pop up, which despite everybody's uh, wanting to, nobody can predict what's going to happen here the next four months. You know, just how you handle all those things. And it's it's a day-to-day deal. I think that's a big part of it. And a little bit of luck never hurts. And, and some good stories emerging, developing. Hopefully uh, the Greg Maven story continues. And, and uh, you know, we just have some good things happen but that's that's what you play the season for and it's you know going back to that that point earlier about uh, the experts and all that I mean three three out of the top five teams at least in one of the polls I looked at were on rank going into the season last year you know, ended up in the top five so that that to me is the fun of college football you just never know what's going to happen there are a couple that I, I could probably take a wild guess and guess they're going to end up in the top five but there'll be some surprises too so you know those teams obviously did a good job with it you know th- those are the challenges just how you handle them as they come along <laughs> Next, we hear from UNI head coach Mark Farley, who was asked about the challenge of facing the Iowa Hawkeyes in the season opener. It's always a tough challenge, but it's exciting and it's an opportunity, so we embrace it and move forward. They're they're probably as good as they've ever been, and you know these, this is one of those games that uh, you know it's it's important not only to us, but I think how how we represent the league and and our university, so there's a lot at stake at the same time of uh, going down playing. And Farley talks about his star senior running back, David Johnson. Oh, David. David's gotten better each and every year, and of course, running backs are always someone you look to to lead a football team, and we're fortunate that David's been very productive for us. He's a great leader, great person off the field, so he becomes a face of your program. And yet, on top of this, you know, he's playing in the state of Iowa, the recognition he's already had nationally now he's presenting himself you know to 70,000 fans who kind of wonder well how he ended up at UNI and not at Iowa so the great thing about this state is they're supportive of their of the people that come from here no matter what uniform they wear but he's very important in our program and look forward to having him have this opportunity and yet you know have the kind of season that he's looking forward to as well as we all are. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings. Moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. <laughs> Time now for our weekly Reporter's Notebook show with a game preview with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles in the Gazette and online at gazette.com and in his blog, Doc's Office. You can follow Scott on Twitter, at Scott Docterman. Scott looks ahead at the 2014 season opening game against UNI and more. Scott, we're starting now the 2014 season for the Iowa Hawkeyes. The Hawks are through spring practice and now the fall camp. They return a lot of veterans. They're very high expectations by many for this particular team. It's not improbable, certainly not impossible, that they might head into the final two Big Ten games with uh, Wisconsin and Nebraska with the West Division conference title on the line, but they certainly still have key questions at linebacker and especially the kickers. Yeah, right now, uh, you know, first of all, the expectations are higher, and I think, but it's kind of a mix right now. I think you get, you know, I mean, after all, they are not ranked nationally. 
However, a lot of people are expecting them to compete and possibly win the West Division title. So I guess you could say after a couple of down years that Iowa football is trending up, and that's a good thing for people in our area because there's really nothing more depressing to a college town than having a mediocre football program. So you look at this year's team, and there certainly are reasons for optimism and there are reasons for concern. And I think, you know, the optimist looks at the offense and says, wow, you have every skill position player from last year returning, that wide receiver, running back, and quarterback, that's impressive. You have potentially the best lineman in the country in Brandon Sheriff and a couple of, you know, three other players who've played a lot along the offensive line that have had starts returning. You have a lot of experience at tight end. Defensively, same thing. You have a lot of experience at the defensive end or defensive line position. You have secondary guys back, but as you mentioned, uh, there's a lot of inexperience at linebackers. So I think by and large, the trend is this is a team that's got enough players to contend, compete in the Big Ten across the board, uh, but they do have some, some areas that need to uh, make rapid improvement in order to reach that goal and that destiny. Let's talk about the Hawkeyes offense for a little bit. They return their leading passer, rusher, and receiver for the first time since 2010. You talked about the strength on the uh, offensive line. 13 players who had at least one reception last season. How will this offense match up against a decent UNI defense, strong in the defensive line? UNI is strong in the defensive backfield. They also have questions at linebacker. Well, I think first you look at what can Iowa do. I mean, I, I'm very confident that Northern Iowa is a very good team, and in fact, they may be the best non-conference opponent Iowa faces this year if you, if you remove the FCS le- uh, label. But it comes down to, in games like this, what can Iowa do, and will Iowa be able to do it? And Iowa is a physical football team. It's a physical point of attack. And what we've seen in the past, Iowa versus Northern Iowa, is after the monstrous scare in 2009, when Iowa faced you and I in 2012, it decided to pay them the utmost respect, which is throw style points out the window and play to win the game, period. And that was be physical. That that was also cost them a couple of running backs, but then allowed for the emergence of Mark Wiseman. So what I expect them to do against Northern Iowa, even though Northern Iowa has experience back on the defensive line, uh, they have a very good linebacking core, but they uh, they will try to blow Northern Iowa off the ball, establish that tone of being a physical football team at the point of attack. I expect Mark Wiseman and Jordan Canzari and Damon Bullock to get a lot of carries. That said, I expect them also to be diverse in their offense and try to balance it out 50-50. But first and foremost, they want to establish the tone to the season to the game uh, against Northern Iowa by being physical right off the bat, and I expect that to include running a lot of inside and out zone where you have guys like Brandon Sheriff and Austin Blythe taking advantage of their opponent. You mentioned three of the running backs. There's also LaShawn Daniels, who Ferentz talked a little bit about the fact that they toyed with the idea of redshirting them, but he's come on so strong in fall camp that he's going to stay in the mix. So this is the first time in quite a while, it seems, as if Iowa has four deep at running back. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of funny. The last time they did, though, was 2010. And if we can remember at that point, 
point when they had Jewel Hampton, who tore his ACL. You had Brandon Weger, who mysteriously left camp and then ended up just floating around for a few years. Uh, you had Adam Robinson, uh, who didn't last the season because he got into trouble, got arrested. And then Marcus Coker, who went, unfortunately for him had to leave campus um, at the end of the following year. But it didn't work out. I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that history repeats itself. But what I like out of the running backs is that they are incredibly diverse in their skill set. You look at Mark Wiseman. Uh, he moved from fullback. He's a thumper. He's got good feet, good balance, hits the hole hard, very strong, very difficult to bring down, uh, not overly fast, but fast enough. He, he's what they, they like to present to a team. Then you have a change of pace back in Jordan Hanzeri, who's stronger than he appears at about 190 pounds, but he's very quick and fast, and that's something that Iowa needed last year when he came on late in the season. He provided that balance to Mark Wiseman's kind of sledgehammer approach. Then you look at David Bullock, and he's been overlooked all these years. You know, he's a capable wide receiver. He's a very good blocker. He runs hard. He stepped in when he needed to. His statistics aren't all that strong, but he's he's the type of guy that they that they love to have, a perfect type teammate because he's willing to do whatever it takes to help the team win. And then, as you mentioned, LaShawn Daniels, I think he's got the most upside out of the guys. I mean, he's big and strong like uh, uh, like Wiseman, kind of comparable to what Marcus Coker was a few years ago. He may be even a little bit quicker than what Coker was, but, you know, it does take time to learn the zone blocking scheme. And, you know, last year he had his moments, but, uh, you know, he's behind three veterans. He's still only a true sophomore, whereas you have the other three who uh, are two seniors and a junior. So he'll get his opportunity in the future. So uh, th- those are four really, you know, capable running backs. And if they stay healthy, uh, they're going to they're gonna pay off for them down the road. Ference also has said a number of times since spring that they plan on not relying so heavily on Wiseman early in the season because he really took a beating and you could tell it really impacted uh, him later in the year. So it, it really does seem like we're going to see a lot more of a mix at running back, at least if they follow through on what they've said. In terms of your receivers, first question I asked Greg Davis at the media day this fall was uh, recalling his first uh, press uh, availability when he came to Iowa's offensive coordinator. He was asked what the biggest uh, need was on the Iowa offense, and he said speed without batting an eye. Here we are into his third season, his playbook's in place. We'll probably see more of it this year. And if you believe him, he says Iowa, and, it, and you can see it with your eyes, the, seems to have a lot more speed overall now at wide receiver than they have in the recent past. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at his the difference between his first year and now his third year, it is truly night and day. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, receivers couldn't separate. They didn't seem to understand the routes that they were running. It was uh, as wide a disparity between the offensive coordinator and the wide receiver coach, the quarterback and the wide receivers, as you've probably ever seen at that position. I mean, seven touchdowns for James Vandenberg after throwing, I believe, his 25 the year before. I mean, it could not have gotten worse uh, among those uh, those players. And a lot of that had to do with the lack of talent at wide receiver. Now what we've seen is that they've had established a strong commitment to bringing in wide receivers, and that talent is blossomed. Uh, they do have skill sets that are versatile, that uh, you got guys who can play multiple positions, and that are true wide receivers. Some of the best wide receivers we've seen under Farron are guys who came to Iowa playing different 
other positions in high school. Uh, go back to Ed Hinkle, Marvin McNutt, Daryl Johnson, Julianos. They were uh, quarterbacks shifting the wide receiver. Now we've got wide receivers playing wide receiver at Iowa. And uh, you look at this at the guy six deep. You know, let's take Tavon Smith, who's kind of been an underrated player, uh, but provided one of the most important plays of Iowa season last year against Michigan. Uh, you know, he's fat. He's gotten better. He's gotten better with his routes, catching the ball. He's he's made strides, and he's still only a junior. Uh, you look at uh, Jacob Hillier, more of a physical style wide receiver uh, who understands that he's not the burner that the other guys are, but he's probably more of a catch and traffic guy, catch a shorter route, fight defensive back, block, and he understands and accepts his role. David Powell, who just returned from a cornea surgery, returned much earlier than expected, is the burner type, and we saw some big plays that he was able to make last year, particularly against Minnesota with the, the little uh, screen pass, and he's back, and he is a burner, and he provides uh, that type of uh, ability. And then probably Probably the most complete back in terms of upside or wide receiver in terms of upside is Derek Willies, who is a spring practice sensation. In two open opportunities for us to watch, uh, he dazzled uh, in Des Moines and in at Kinnick Stadium. Uh, you know, he's tall at about six four and two hundred plus pounds. Catches the ball, runs good routes, catches with his hands, turns up field and runs. I mean, just a beautiful looking wide receiver, exactly what you want from that position. And he looks like he's got all the potential in the world. And then finally, another guy who it was kind of under the radar but got his red shirt pulled last year to, to step in was Matt Vandenberg and he also has that type of upside so to change what we saw two years ago when Iowa was 4-8 and eight, completed only 7 touchdowns passes to now this type of unit is, is stark and it it's also shows that you emphasize this in recruiting and you coach them up good things can happen and I think that there's unlimited potential at those positions Yeah and probably a much more balanced attack maybe than has been the case in in the past, at least for fans who've watched this program over the entire Ferentz era. Let's look at tight ends for a minute, because not even on the two deeps is the guy that a lot of people figured would be the starter, Jake Doozy, who's been nicked up. But uh, two people that Ferentz talked about progressed the most through uh, fall camp and spring practice in uh, Ray Hamilton, in particular, Henry uh, krieger Coble. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the, now the, uh, the depth chart always lies. <laughs> we have to be aware of that. Uh, you know, it, it, and I would surprised they actually put three wide receivers on it but but uh, they do use a two tight end set about 40% of the time. They usually don't list the second tight end who tends to start and then we're looking at Hamilton and Doozy as those starters there but you're going to see a heavy dose of George Kittle and, and Henry Krieger Coble. All four are very capable. All four are potential next level type guys that follow in the footsteps of all the others that have come before them at that position. I mean Ray Hamilton is an end line blocker. Physical guy, got short quickness and short distances, uh, can catch the ball. He's a, he's a traditional type of guy, but he's, he's so big. I mean, he's 6'5", 250 plus, but, he, but compared to C.J. Fedorowicz, he, he almost looks like, oh, he's a little bit shorter. And then Krieger Coble has similar build, maybe not quite as strong yet, but he has the best hands on the team, and that's pretty much universally accepted. When you look at the other two, Doozy uh, you know, is fast. He's the fastest of the bunch. He and and Kittle's really close there, too. Uh, they, they're deep threats as well as they are wide receivers. And Doozy, nobody seems to understand or realize that he's 6'4", 250 himself. 
So, I mean, he's a big target. And that last year, that 85-yard catch and, and run uh, against Ohio State, where he spent the last 40 yards outrunning the Ohio State defense, really showed what kind of wheels he has. And then, likewise, George Kittle has had a lot of deep completions. He could catch the ball just about anywhere on the field. Those four guys are going to be playing a lot. Uh, they're, in some ways, interchangeable, but in some ways, they have their better, their uh, best positions on the field. So, I expect them to be tight end by committee. I think they'll all have a decent number of receptions. Uh, they may not have the one true top flight talent the way C.J. Fedora's sport is, was, but I think uh, you're going to see all four of them be instrumental to this offense in this attack. Yeah, Marv Cook in his shows keeps talking about the fact that uh, Kittle and Doozy are, are almost more hybrid type receivers, not your prototypical tight end guys because of their speed. So that really, along with the wide receiver core and the speed you have there, that, that gives it gives a lot more options for the offense. You mentioned the offensive line, and you mentioned Brandon Scherf, but outside of one position, the, the overall, the offensive line's got a lot of experience this year. Yeah, and, uh, you know, of course, Scherf is the the, the best and, and on this team and maybe any team, uh, and, you know, we've seen a lot of the hype that goes along with that, but, but you look at uh, Andrew Donnell, who's now going to start at right tackle. You know, he started at guard a couple of years ago alongside Scherf, and they both were knocked out of the same game for the season, and that was a Penn State night game, and that really cost them and cost Iowa. So, But now he's back to a more traditional position. He's a 6'7 guy. He's got good feet, good athlete. You know, kind of fits with what Iowa wants out of that right tackle position. It does a good job with that. So so that's a natural move for him. Jordan Wall started about every game last year, and they really like the way he's progressed. He's got he's kind of on a track that I, I consider a lot like a Julian Vanderbilt, where, uh, you know, he kind of switched off a lot early, got bigger, got better, and, uh, you know, now he's on that career path where he's now a junior, so he should take those strides up the way Vanderbilt did and led him to the NFL. And then Austin Blythe, I don't, I hope nobody sleeps on him because he may be one of the best centers in the Big Ten this year. Um, you know, just an absolute bulldog, got good feed, of course. You know, he's got the pins record for Iowa high schools in wrestling, tenacious, but but articulate and able to call the, the, the shots from up front. He's exactly what you want in the center, and, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be, be their uh, kind of their captain up front. And then, uh, you know, now there's a spot where they don't have any experience, and that's Sean Wells. But they seem to like uh, his approach. He's a redshirt freshman. They liked him a lot last year, and now he's moved into that left guard, which is always kind of the entryway for a lot of uh, offensive linemen. We've seen guys like Sheriff. We've seen guys like Riley Reese and Brian Bulaga, you know, get their careers started inside for, you know, close to a year before then they move to the outside. And I think that's what we'll see with, with Sean Welsh, that if he can perform capably there, that that's kind of the highway to the outside. And, and what has been proven over time is if you can get to the outside, especially the left tackle at Iowa, uh, you're right near your check for, you know, eight figures. So uh, we'll see if he, he can develop into that. But, but right now, he's uh, they've said it all along, he's their number five uh, best lineman, and uh, he looks to be the guy from the next couple of years. Uh, it's certainly a change of pace this far deep into our conversation, and we haven't even talked about the quarterbacks yet. But Jake Rudock, going into year number two as a starter, he had a very solid season uh, last year, uh, surprisingly earlier in the season with his legs as, as well as with his arm. And then you have uh, Ference talking about maybe getting Bethard in on some plays or a series as a change of pace kind of an option. So talk about Jake a bit and what we might see out of Bethard this season as well. Well, you know, last year was the first year for both of them to get into any games. And, and Jake Rudock had a, had a, a pretty 
good year, I think, by and large. You know, he was able to, to start. He took some shots. He delivered in the clutch at times. But uh, but he also made a lot of mistakes, which is what you expect from a first-year starter. And I think, you know, what you're going to see year after year with him is better decision-making. I mean, he may have a few more physical limitations than C.J. Beathard. He doesn't throw the balls hard. He's probably not as quick. But he's a heads-up player. And what he can do is get the Hawkeyes in and out of, of good plays or make good plays great plays by what he can do at the line of scrimmage. I mean, it's a two-way street. You know, it's not, in the past when you're a young starter and you're kind of insecure at times, uh, you get play call, you call the play. Now he's got the opportunity to look over the defense, make changes, get them into a better play, do do things like that. And uh, and I think that's what we see with the maturity and growth of, of a Jake Rudock. Now, C.J. Beathard, the trajectory on him from a talent perspective and where he may end up is greater than what you'll see with Jake Rudock. I mean, he's got a stronger arm. I mean, an amazing arm. You know, he's, he's quick, he's fast, he's got that upside that you're looking for from somebody at that position, but, you know, he's not as ready to lead than Jake Rudock. He's got, he, now, as far as kind of playing them both, you know, I, I'm still interested in knowing how that's going to work, or if it will at all. Is that something that they've discussed with Beathard to try to keep Beathard here? After all, they lost their number three quarterback, who transferred, and then their number other three quarterbacks who transferred uh, because they saw Rudaka Jr. knew that they had two more years. So are they going to let, is this one way to say, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll make sure to play him, meaning we want you here and just in case. Or are they serious? They're going to let him play and do some different things. I don't know. I, I think that right now they're going to play to win, and if, if keeping Rudock in the game is the way to win, they'll do that. If it's changing the pace, they'll do that with Beathard. So until we get something tangible that we can actually judge and report, I, I right now I'm, I'm kind of skeptical on how that's going to work. Yeah, to the point about Rudock's first-year stats, passed for nearly 2,400 yards, 18 touchdown passes, five rushing touchdowns, led uh, the Hawkeyes to four wins on the road, and importantly, how Iowa's offense really needed to stretch the field, 10 of Rudock's 18 touchdown passes last year were for 20 yards or more, so those are all positive signs. After this break, Scott and I talk defense, special teams, and the Big Ten. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and you can make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com. Go to the News and Events section and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeyes Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette and the Quad City Times. Looking now at Iowa's defense and how they match up against UNI's offense, UNI, in addition to returning eight starters on defense and, and their punter, returns 10 starters on offense. Their offense comes back almost completely intact. They have a pretty solid uh, quarterback in Sawyer Cole Morgan, a good wide receiver core, a terrific running back in David Johnson, who could probably start for a lot of FBS teams. Yeah, and in fact, uh, I, I brought this up a few times already this week, that David Johnson 
Johnson is good enough where he would he is the best running back in the state of Iowa. And in a couple of years, uh, and the NFL is going to look over really strong guys from this part of the country, which is David Johnson, Amir Abdullah, Melvin Gordon, and he's in their class. He, if he was at Minnesota, he'd start there. If he was at Iowa or Iowa State, he'd start there. He's one of those guys that gets overlooked. Iowa gave him a really good look, and then ultimately just didn't have enough, didn't offer him a full scholarship right from the get-go. He took the full ride, and, and you and I is reaping the rewards from that. I mean, he scored four touchdowns last year against the Cyclone. You know, he's a big, physical, 6'3", 230-pound guy, capable of doing anything and everything, and he was good against Iowa two years ago at Kinnick. So, Sawyer Cole Morgan, you know, comes from a great program in Jenks, Oklahoma. Uh, he's now in an, entering his third year as a starter. They are turning their top wideouts, plus guys that have been, that were injured in the past, you know, the master, I believe missed most of the year last year with an injury. So they are deep, they are veteran, they are capable of doing, you know, they're capable of beating a lot of teams there. So this is a, this is a dangerous opponent. This is a dangerous offense for Iowa face because as you mentioned earlier, Iowa has some inexperience in the back seven of the defense. Uh, one mistake, one wrong step, one misread could cost you, could cost you a great deal. So that's a kind of a dangerous opener. I mean, this is Northern Iowa offensively is not the type of team you really want to play like this if you're Iowa. But then again, who else are you going to play? So I think this is a, you know, this is an opponent that's capable of giving Iowa problems if Iowa doesn't play sound from the first whistle. Iowa's defense was kind of a flip-flop from last year. Last year, the question marks were more on the defensive line. The linebacker core was veteran and considered a strength of the team. This year, it's the other way around. It's kind of a mixed bag in the defensive secondary, but you've got some decent experience back there. But clearly, this you would think at least early on in the season, the strength for Iowa's defense is its defensive line, even with the, the loss of Darian Cooper to his season in ending a surgery. Yeah, and uh, you know when you have Carl Davis, I mean, you have a great line. But he may, he's going to end up being one of the best in the Big Ten this year. You know, and, and to see the transformation he's made over the last four or five years is stark. I mean, he's, he's a 6'5", 3'10". He came in 6'5", 345", or whatever it was. And he worked his way down and built himself up from the strength perspective. He's He's got great speed and quickness in a short range. He's uh, he's physical at the point of attack. He's everything you want. And then you look at uh, Louis Trinka Bassat, and I always kind of joke that he's, he looks more like he should be hauling logs in Duluth or something, you know, just a strong physical guy, but he's also uh, just, uh, you know, an anchor type. He reminds me of Matt Kroll in that position, just mean, tough, hard-nosed, doesn't move, gets, you know, just does everything he asks. The outside is where I'm, I'm kind of intrigued and also a little concerned, I guess. Uh, Drew Ott comes after his second year of starting. Uh, one thing I'm impressed with the way he is, is, you know, he's a, he moved positions at times during the summer just to go head-to-head to Sheriff. He wants to go against the best, and he also knows that if you don't bring your best against him, he, he's going to bury you. So he wanted to attack, understands that, the, you know, that he's not going to win a lot of those battles, but he wanted to make sure that whoever he goes against after him, um, you know, that he'll win those. And then uh, now the intriguing part is the rise of Nate Meyer. Um, here's a guy who came to campus a couple of years ago, played a couple of different positions, settled in a defense then, and now he's a co-starter with Mike Hardy. It just shows you, you know, that he's got quickness, he's got burst, he's physical now, he's still not optimum size necessarily along the outside, but but he's capable of, of putting on weight, and he has. And Mike Hardy is kind of your steady Eddie at defensive end, physical, maybe not as explosive as what you would want. So, uh, But this defensive line, it's, it's got depth, it's got play, 
players, and uh, it's the strength of the, of the defense. And I think if you were to say which would you rather have, and you can only pick one, you know, good strong linebacking core or a good solid defensive line, you're going to take the defensive line because they tie up the blockers that allow the, the linebackers front three. I asked uh, several of the defensive players who the meanest guy on offense was, and everybody just busted out laughing and said Sheriff. So I asked Sheriff who the meanest guy on defense was, and he mentioned the guy you talked a bit about there, Ott. And Trinka Bissett kind of remind you know, he's got a, a nonstop motor, and he showed some bursts of speed last year in running down people from behind. He's sort of like the Energizer Bunny if the Energizer Bunny was 6'3 and 290. <laughs> yeah, he did a good job of that. I remember distinctly that the last play against Northwestern um, in overtime, and, and he was left in as the kind of the main defensive lineman of the later package, which was kind of built to for speed and, and the team contain running quarterbacks, and he was the guy in there, and he was the guy who ended up making the final play, so uh, running somebody from behind. So, you know, and, and they've all got good stories and interesting stories. Not one of them has come in with a silver spoon in their mouth. They've all developed over time, and Louis Trick and Bissot may be the one that, you know, he, he considered quitting a couple of years ago, and then he ended up sticking with it. He fought through an injury, and here he is, you know, a two-year starter, and uh, almost a three-year starter, it looks like, and, and uh, really at an important cog to this defense. A linebacker, it's clear and really has been clear from the outset here that Quentin Alston is, is going to be the quarterback of the defense at middle linebacker, but there's been some surprises in the other two linebacker positions here. Yeah, you know, both of them now are listed as co-starters, and to me, this is the biggest concern on the whole team, you know, at least among the starting units, and that is some people may look at this as, you know, hey, maybe it's a good thing that two redshirt freshmen can elevate themselves in a position of being co-starters, meaning Bo Bauer and Josie Jewell, but other people may look at it as, well, that means that the guys who are the heir apparent to start, Travis Perry and, and Reggie Spearman, have not lived up to expectations. And I would look at it as a little of both, but particularly I'd, I'm more concerned with Reggie Spearman because he's an athletic specimen. I mean, he, he fits the bill for everything you want from that position, yet he failed to win it decisively in camp. And so I think I would be concerned if, you know, as to why that's the case. Now, he's still a co-starter. He'll, he'll play a lot if not from start. But now on the outside, you know, Bo Bauer, a local guy from West Branch, is really trying some head. Jewel, of course, has as well. But I, I think I'm probably more on the lines that if somebody like Spearman especially didn't differentiate themselves in camp, that means there's a little bit of concern there. And then the other players maybe understand the, the defense a little bit more. So I want to see what happens on Saturday. Kirk Ferentz said it's going to be a couple of weeks before it's all said and done. But I, I, I'm in intrigued by how that's going to play out because those are really important positions as they get a lot farther along the season. And since Iowa tends to play some close games, maybe more than a lot of people would like, obviously uh, place kicking is going to be important, and it looks like Marshall Kane from Solon does have the edge now. Didn't look very good in the kids' day scrimmage, but Ferentz says they've been looking good in practice, and it appears that Dylan Kidd, the new kid on the block at punter, may have beaten out uh, Connor Cornbrath. Yeah, and uh, those still remain somewhat open. But, you know, uh, Marshall Kane gets the first crack. We all thought he should. Uh, you know, he's been kind of a loyal understudy for the last three years under Mike Meyer, uh, a really good athlete from Solon. But let's see what he can do in, in a pressure situation. And, and pressure situations aren't always the last kick of the game in the fourth quarter with a tie game or if you're behind. Sometimes it's, uh, okay, the second drive of the first quarter and it's 0 0, and you get down and can you make those kicks? That's really going to be really important. This team is 
you mentioned, traditionally plays a lot of close football games, and they're going to need good special teams, good kickers to pull some of those games out, and, and they need to be reliable. You know, as, as you mentioned, Kirk Ferentz has uh, played a lot of close games. Mentioned uh, throughout the, the spring or uh, the, the training camp that they play uh, that they kick pretty well, but then the one opportunity we get to see, they didn't do very good. Uh, you know, one is that just an aberration, or is it, hey, this is their first and only chance to kick in front of people, and, and they didn't look very good. I'd be concerned about that. So I'm sure Kirk is concerned, but he's also confident, and uh, I guess we'll get to see what they're made of because if he misses a kick or two early, he wouldn't be surprised at all to see a true freshman go ahead and take over that position. You know, Iowa ranks second in the country right now on consecutive games without a missed or blocked PAT, so that'll be on the line early on, probably. Well, the, the Big Ten's poised to end games against FCS teams, at least it will if Jim Delaney gets his way, so this could be the last Iowa versus UNI game, at least for their foreseeable future. Your keys to the game and your prediction. Well, you know, they do get one more game at it. Um, in 2018, they are not going to take that one off the book, so they'll get to at least one more chance at it, but I think the key to the game for Iowa is to play sound defense, to be able to center on David Johnson, don't let him get loose. He's going to get his yards. He's a good player. He's as good a player as they'll play against at that position, and that includes, you know, Gordon and Abdullah well, later on, but but it is to play sound defense. It's not to do anything, try to do too, anything too much to do to what Iowa does traditionally to just keep it in. And then on offense, I think it's it's to, to extend drives. I think third downs are going to tell a lot of the story of this game, you know, what Iowa can and can't do. If it's third and four, can they get a six-yard pass? If it's third and eight, can they complete a 10-yard pass? That's going to be a real crucial part of this game. Northern Iowa, as I mentioned, is maybe the most the best uh, non-conference opponent Iowa will face this year, and I know that sounds strange. The other three are FCS or FBS, and two of them are from the Power Five, but Northern Iowa would be more than capable of beating the other three teams. They're going to be a contender for the Missouri Valley Conference Championship and uh, potentially a, a team in the playoffs in the FCS that goes far. So I think this is going to be a game throughout. It's not. It's, I think Iowa is the better team. Iowa's got better personnel, but it's one where you and I is going to hang on for a while uh, before Iowa pulls away. So I like Iowa to win 31 to 20. We're going a little bit longer than normal, but it is the opening game of the season. There's lots to cover. Just a quick couple of thoughts from you about the Big Ten Conference overall going into the 2014 campaign. New divisions, finally, that make a lot more sense to most people. The addition of Rutgers and Maryland and national playoff berth at stake for the first time. Yeah, I I like the new divisions. Uh, I think East and West, as you mentioned, they're much easier to remember. You know, the only thing I was ever to, if I was to draw the line, I would move Michigan State to the West and, and Purdue to the East because I think the perception that the West is weaker could cause a slight wedge between the two divisions over time. Once Delaney retires in 10, 15 years, you might start to see some sort of, I won't say potential breakup, but I think there's a concern of a wedge. I would have moved Michigan State to the West. You could justify it even because the Upper Peninsula goes as far west as Quad Cities. But that said, I like the fact that Illinois and Wisconsin are in the same division as Iowa. Um, Iowa hasn't played Illinois in six years, which is just kind of crazy. And Wisconsin and Iowa is one of the best rivalries for the Big Ten, and it was a shame that it was kind of on hiatus and they're in separate divisions. So uh, the West division, I think it shakes down pretty 
an in, in interesting fashion because I think there are three teams that are that appear to be head and shoulders above the rest. But I think there's a couple working that could create issues. I mean, Iowa, Nebraska, and Wisconsin play at Doty Doe the last three weeks of the year, where Wisconsin plays Nebraska, then Iowa plays Wisconsin, and then find ends up against Nebraska, where that could decide that the, the Big Ten title. I think you look at the East, and I think there are three teams that kind of stand out, and then uh, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Michigan. I think that'll kind of go to the end as well. So uh, as far as the Big Ten getting in the playoff, it's going to be interesting to see what the committee views versus what perception is. Perception is the Big Ten's a little weaker. They're going to struggle to get a team in the playoff. However, uh, you know, the committee will make that decision, and, and two people on the committee have Big Ten ties, and uh, Barry Alvarez and Tom Osborne. I think it's going to be a good year. I think the league is improving, and I think they've got the potential to do some good things, and the Bulls starts off this week with Wisconsin LSU. It's a very important game, again, for perception, and then the next week with uh, Michigan State Oregon is, is huge for uh, on every level. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one, no touching of the hair or face. Of course. And that's it! Hawkeye's Mike Football Shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Thanks to Scott Docterman. He does a great job covering the Hawkeyes, and it was nice to have him back on the show for another year. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast. That you'll come back for more. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.